The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Good morning, everybody. It is Wednesday, January the 20th. It is Fantasy NBA Today. I am your host, Dan Bespris. Feeling spry on this day. I don't know why. I don't know why. Maybe it's because my kid got me up an hour early, so I've had a little more time to wake up. I don't know. But regardless, you know what? I think I do know. I think I do know. I think it's because we only had two games yesterday. So I'm, I didn't have to sort of bury myself in it for a night. Uh, most of this show, of course, will be dedicated to the upcoming card here on this Wednesday night. I also thought because there were only two games to go over yesterday and they were really not interesting fantasy games, like you could not, that's not true. You could have picked less interesting fantasy games. The games themselves were also not super interesting, but from a fantasy perspective, they were, there was not, I mean, Lou Gantz Dort, that's it. Lou Dort was sort of the only story from yesterday's fantasy stuff. And there were blowouts. So you didn't even get maximum minutes. We got data, no data. We got nothing. All right, maybe not nothing. Anyway, we'll we'll go over the whole stuff. Welcome to the show, everybody. Again, this is Fantasy NBA Today. I already said that. I am Dan Vespers. I am your host. Thanks so much for listening. You can follow me on social media, at Dan Vespers. That's the Twitter handle, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Or just Google search Dan from Hoopball. Some of you are, I think, newer to the pod. Hopefully you can hunt me down on social media. Put out some free stuff. Putting out some free stuff these days, although it's heavily... That's not really true, I guess. There's, you know, what to watch for. We'll have that thread going out. I like to think that I can't get to every question anymore. I've talked about this before, but I like to think that there's still a lot that I'm churning out over there. So please do check me out on social media. And follow Hoopball Fantasy. Hoopball Fantasy is the Hoopball Twitter feed. That's the news feed. It's a great spot to get all of your injury and other breaking news updates in a fantasy manner. Each of those tweets from that links to the Hoopball page, the news feed, where you can get an actual fantasy analysis on whatever that breaking news is. So that's at Hoopball Fantasy once again. What I'd like to do today, and we'll change it up just a little bit, because if we if we did just the usual stuff you know, the pod would be 15 minutes long, but we're going to do that. Don't get me wrong. We're going to we're gonna do that, but I'd like to spend about another five to 10 minutes on today's show talking a bit about the, I, I, I mean, I guess it's a buy low, sell high strategy. We're, one of the, the great overarching goals of this fantasy season, for me personally, and so then that trickles down to you guys because you're stuck with this show all the time. Not stuck, but you know what I mean is to figure out how to help people pull off trades. Because trades in general don't happen that much. Fantasy leagues, you know, there are some leagues where trades happen where people are wheelers and dealers. But I, I would say on the whole, in general, most fantasy leagues are not super tradey. There's like one every few weeks. Which, you know, considering how much activity there is in basketball and how much time you spend you know, popping guys in and out and waiver wire pickups and all that good stuff. When you compare the number of trades that happen to the number of pickups and drops that happen, it's an extraordinary number. So I thought this season, and we've been doing it so far with, you know, more of it's been on social media than the podcast, honestly. 
just trying to figure out how to bridge that gap between what people believe their player is worth and what people believe someone else's player is worth. And it's a it's a mental leap that to this point I'm not certain we can ever fully clear it. So everybody's like, I want to win my trade. And I don't know that you can do that. You have to create a trade that is fair in the eyes of both parties. And the only way to do that is to understand how the other party values the pieces you're looking for. So I thought we could spend just a couple minutes on today's show doing a little bit of a buy low, sell high. It's not even a a segment, really, as opposed to here are a couple of names that have jumped out at me. But really, again, I would steer some of this into the social media sphere where we can continue to gauge what people believe their their player is worth. Like, here, a good example of this was talking about Buddy Heald as a buy low. A couple, uh, last week, week before, I don't know, the time, time is uh, screwy. And a lot of people, this was actually one where I thought trades could have happened because the people that had Buddy Heald were really beginning to get sick of the nonsense. And I think you can probably pull off the same general idea with like a Rob Covington, who's at number 136 right now. And, you know, we'll get into that a bit here in a few minutes on the show. Or, you know what, screw it. Let's just do it now. It doesn't need to be in any particular order today. There was so little that happened yesterday that me talking about yesterday's games first, it's not going to save you. And me talking about them last isn't really going to cost you anything. So, Rob Covington, here's a good example of it. I think this is a guy where buyers are willing to give up what sellers are looking for. Covington at number 136 per game right now on six and a half points, just under six rebounds, one and a half threes, one and a half steals, half a block, and 31% shooting from the field. You heard that right. 31% shooting. Which remarkably makes him very bad in that category, but somehow not one of the worst in the NBA because he's only taken seven and a half shots a game. But if he took any more than that, it would be a damn disaster. Like Kelly Oubre Jr., 37%, but he's taking 12 shots a game. So he's actually been a bigger, a larger net negative than Rob Covington, who, I mean, you can look up and down the board, look at any name you want, of pretty much anyone inside the top 200, he has the worst field goal percent. I think Draymond Green is like 215th ranking right now, and he's basically the exact same uh, field goal percent as Rocco. I don't... Okay, that that doesn't even really matter. I don't even know why we did this exercise. Suffice it to say that field goal percent like this is one of the greatest weapons in creating a trade. Because in general a team is going to lose confidence in a guy if his counting numbers aren't where they should be. But understanding why that's the case is where you can then, if you're the buyer, is where you can then go and make a little bit of hay. With Covington, there's a downtick in defensive stats, which I think we can all agree is probably going to level off at some point especially with no Nurk for two months and CJ McCollum out for a while. Like, he's going to be doing everything he can. So defensive stats are going to come. 
The other stuff that's bugging people about Rocco is that, you know, he's not hitting a ton of three-pointers, and he's at 6.6 points per game, which is crazy low. But if you take that 31.5% and you raise that up by 10%, you're talking about basically a third. That's adding 33% to what he's doing right now, which is significant. 6.6 goes to about 9 points per game, just uh, slightly less than 9 points per game. 1.63 pointers goes to about 2.1. So if you made just those adjustments, nine points per game, two threes per game, still six around, still around six rebounds and 41% shooting, he's inside the top 100, and it's not really all that close. If you then assume that half a block trends up, to what? I don't, we, it doesn't, I mean, it matters, but it doesn't really matter. All you can do is look at it and say, okay, well, from what I know about this particular player, Rob Covington, he hasn't had a season where his blocks have been below .9 since his third year in the league. That was six years ago. He's obviously bounced around a little bit, and there's been some limited sample size stuff, but you know, even when he was playing largely small forward, he was still at about one block a game. Like Minnesota, that's where he was at. When he was in Houston, he was playing more center. He was at 2.2, which was never really sustainable. Briefly in Philly, you know, first three weeks of the year, he's at 1.8. Most of the time, he's been around one. About one, a little bit more than one block a game. He's at 0.4. Most of his career, no matter where he's played on the floor, he's been at about 1.7 steals in 30 minutes, which is exactly what he's playing in Portland, and probably trending up with everybody out. He would have broken it easily if yesterday's game wasn't a blowout and he didn't have five fouls. So you, I think, and again, this, you know, you're, we're running the numbers here. You're talking about a guy who's probably going to add about 0.8 combined defensive stats between now and the end of the year. His field goal percent is likely to trend up towards 40. I guess you don't have to, you don't have to give him all the way to 41. Let's just say 40. So you're adding almost a third. So you're talking about eight and a half, probably more, by the way, with Nurk out and CJ out. So he'll have to take more shots. So probably more like nine points. Maybe he gets as high as 10. Five and a half to six rebounds. Sure, why the hell not? He's not going to get to eight the way he did when Houston playing exclusively center and some power forward. But all of a sudden, you got a top 75 guy. Why does a trade like this work? Why did I highlight a guy like Rob Covington or Buddy Heald last week, who's slowly moving his way up the board? Although, you know, it'll take a little bit of time, but he's now at 118 after he was at, what was he when we talked about him, like 155, 160? These things take time. They don't happen overnight. But, you know, you can look at last two weeks and stuff like that and get a better feel for whether a guy's turning a corner. The reason I highlight these types of guys is that everything is in place except stuff we know will adjust on its own. With Covington, you might have said, okay, well, you know, what if some stuff is lower just because of the fit in Portland? Yeah, I mean, I would have made that case for rebounds and blocks if you compared him to what he did in Houston, but you can still compare him to playing mostly small forward in Philly and Minnesota, where he was getting about .9 blocks per game. And the steals were at 1.7. That's just not, that's not something that's just going to vanish. And the shooting percentage, 31.5%. This reminds me an awful lot of Covington's first few weeks 
wow, what season was that? I think that was actually still during his Philly days where he opened the season. He was shooting like 22% for two weeks. I had to drop him in one of those leagues, and I regretted it every day the rest of the way because once he woke up, then he was a top 40 guy the rest of the season. Now, I'm not saying that's going to happen here, but this is a guy who, just because of his fantasy stat set, can pretty much close his eyes and be a top 75 guy. And the reason I highlight him, which I keep beating around the bush here, the reason I highlight him is that you have the math on your side, but people that have Rocco that, I don't know, maybe they were expecting Houston numbers, they're not looking at that stuff and seeing it as fixable. So he's a guy you can get for a reasonable price. An example on the other side is someone like Trey Young, who's number 78 in 9-cat right now. I'd call that terrible, except Devin Booker has been far worse. And Devin Booker is another example of kind of the same thing. Booker's number 111. Trey Young's 78. But you ain't getting these guys. Because of what people spent, whether it's an auction draft and it's actual draft budget, or a snake draft and it's just sort of capital, meaning a first-round pick, if someone spent a first-round pick on a guy, they're not going to sell low. It just doesn't happen. People don't abandon ship on their first-round picks. You might be able to get Devin Booker for something less than a first-round pick right now. I mean, I think you could. But do you even want to? The reason I didn't choose Booker is because he was sort of never going to be a per-game first-round guy, and we even said that during the preseason. No, I mean, I had zero expectation he was going to be this bad. I figured it was going to be not that dissimilar from last year, where Booker was... On a per-game basis in 9-cat, he was hovering in that you know, 40-ish range before the bubble, and then he exploded in his bubble games, blew him up to number 25 on a per-game basis. So the thought was, I don't know how much higher he goes than that on a per-game when there are actually other guys around on his team doing stuff with him. So best-case scenario for Brooker was like top 20 per-game, super durable, that would get him towards, you know, end of first round turn type of territory. I didn't want to highlight him for this exercise because with Chris Paul around, and yes, he's going to be a lot better than he is right now. There's, there's zero question about that. He is still a buy low, but I think you have to adjust your expectations. Every month that he's not hitting at that top 25 clip is a month that he's moving farther away, even while durable from getting near that end of first round, beginning of second round turn. So I think Booker's a different test case. Trey Young is the one I want to focus on because he is, I think right now, the poster child of an underachieving first rounder that's still probably going to get up near where he belongs. But even though he's struggling, you still can't get him. With Booker, he's struggling, but I don't know that you necessarily want to get him for whatever price it would take right now because I think it's a possibility he actually doesn't get to kind of anywhere near where he was drafted. With Trey Young, I think people that drafted him, I don't know, this isn't even a think. This is an I know. People that drafted Trey Young still expect him to get right where they drafted him. There's been no adjustment there. And the reason there's been no adjustment is because there's, there's an attachment that grows between the team and super early picks. 
no one ever really abandons ship on those super early picks. Also, Trey, you know, he's at 23 and 9. And it's pretty clear what's going on with him. He can't shoot. So his three ball's not dropping. He's never been a steals guy. The stuff that's off with Trey Young right now is his field goal percent and his three-pointers. And his scoring. The field goal percent goes back into the mid-40s like it was last year. You know, 44, something like that. Scoring goes up by a bunch. He's at 39% right now. So, was that, an eighth, roughly? About an eighth? If everything went up by about an eighth for him? Add another three points to his total. Add another point two, point three, three pointers. So things, you know, things change dramatically for him. You add all that stuff to it. Suddenly he's scoring 26, 27 points a game with two three pointers. And the field goal percent is not a massive sink on his value. The point I'm trying to make here is you might come to someone and say, look, Trey Young is number 78 right now. I'll give you a second rounder for him. And I don't think the people with Trey are going to take it even though he's performing far worse than that. And that's really more a psychological thing where I think you probably just have to give up on trying to buy low on guys that have that attachment to the team that drafted them. You need to find guys to pry away in trades that are less, I won't even say buzzy, because it's not about buzz. It's just about what someone spent on a particular player. You're just not going to cash in your chips on an underperforming first rounder. No one will. Because when you look at Trey, you're like, look, I'll give you, like, I don't I don't think he gets to the end of the first round. Fine. You might be right. I, I, he probably doesn't. Honestly, like, I don't, he's going to have to play extraordinarily well in nine cat to get a per game value anywhere near the end of the first round. Durability-wise, I mean, he could still he could sniff it for sure. He could still sniff it. A couple of hot runs, and all of a sudden, by totals, he's right back in the mix. But there's just it's a it's a cognitive issue where the team trying to buy is never going to be willing to give up as much as the team willing to sell or on the selling end. So you need to move a little farther down the board, even not even that much. It could be someone drafted in the second round or third round. But those first-round guys, you're just not getting unless they get hurt. I saw some teams give up on Cat. They thought his wrist injury was going to be far worse than it was. That's a, that's a different animal altogether. People just... It's almost impossible in competitive leagues to make that connection. Now, all you got to do is go a little bit farther down the board. Look for some second-rounders who are really struggling that you believe will work their way back up the board. Like, I think you could probably have DeAndre Ayton for far less than a second-rounder right now. Would you want to? Probably not, because, again, you know, you you have to have a projection of where you think this guy is going to end up. If you don't think he gets inside the fourth round you're probably not going to be able to spend enough to get the dude. So feel free to hit me up on this. I'm uh, I'm not going to be on the computer all day today. I'll try to check in periodically, and I'll try to get a thread going about this exact topic, which is basically that we have trouble as fantasy players finding common ground on trades because the selling team and the buying team can't agree on what a guy actually is. That's why buy lows and sell high recommendations are just not enough on their own. 
They're not enough on their own. Because if I have a guy listed as a buy low on my team, then I know I shouldn't be selling him right now. The way to make a trade is to find someone where you and the other party just simply disagree. I'm saying the right words here, so stick with me, and then I'm going to move on to our, our recap and our look ahead. This is the most important thing to take away from today's trade discussion. To find a proper trade, you need to either, you have two choices. You can either choose side A, which is honestly the easiest side, and it's basically the only trades I make. Side A is you and your opponent agree on the exact values of the guys involved in a trade. You agree on every value, and so it's easy to match. I don't have a uh, shimmering example of this, but if you're just like, oh, um, I believe Demonis Sabonis is a top 45 guy or top 40 guy, and your opponent's like, I also believe Demonis Sabonis is a top 40, top 45 guy. And you're like, oh, okay, well, you know, I need a guard, and um, I believe that Kyle Lowry is a top 40, top 45 kind of guy. And your opponent's like, oh, I also believe Kyle Lowry is a top 40. You can just make a straight swap. And I'm not saying this is what you should be doing because whatever. I'm just saying if you and your opponent agree on the actual values of the guys involved in a trade, it's quite easy to make a trade. No one's trying to fleece the other guy. It's just straight swap. The other way that you can pull off a trade, and this is the way where you can actually make a little bit of profit, is if you and your opponent disagree on the exact value of a player involved two times. Meaning, actually, it doesn't even need to be two times, but on a critical piece of the trade. Why Rob Covington was an interesting one is because I have now seen many times on social media, I say, Rob Covington, he's still going to be a top 75 guy this year on a per-game basis, and I have a lot of people saying, no, he's a wreck, you should drop him, or top 100 at best, or whatever. So if someone else believes he's a top 100 guy, and I believe he's a top 75 guy, there's a 25-slot chunk of value there or I can go get him. And then the beauty part is, if I find someone, if my opponent thinks he's top 100, if I find someone that my opponent believes is top 95, I should be able to go get that guy. Because my opponent now believes that I'm giving him half a round of value in the trade. And maybe that's not enough to get the job done. Maybe take a full round of value. Let's create a new hypothetical. My opponent thinks Rob Covington is a top 115 guy, and I think he's top 75. 40 slots to work with there. That's your profit margin, which means you can give a little profit back to get the trade done. Hopefully you guys are following me on this this logic thread because this this is really key. I now disagree with my opponent by 40 slots on a key player involved in this trade discussion. Now you go to choice A or choice B in terms of actually getting the trade done. Choice A is, okay, look, and and you don't have to, like, I don't have to tell my opponent I think Rob Covington's number is going to be number 75. All I need to know is roughly where he values him. Okay, you've told me based on the guys you're looking at on my team that you think Rob Covington is going to be around number 115. So you're asking for guys on my team that are in the 100 to 110 range. If I agree with my trade partner 
that the guy he's pointing at on my team is a top 100 guy, I might be inclined to just make that trade. Even though in, in his mind, or her mind, in their mind, they just gained 15 slots of value. That's what they believe. They think they just gave me a top 115 guy and got a top 100 guy back. And in my mind, I just gave up a top 100 guy and got a top 75 guy back. Now, both sides are happy specifically because we disagreed on the exact ranking of one of those players involved. So that's the two ways to make a trade. You either agree on everybody or you disagree on one or more key pieces. But the reason to trade for a guy like Trey, uh, Trey Young almost never works is that there's no, there's no margin there's no way, there's no room to work. If I think Trey Young is still going to be number 15, and even if my opponent's super upset about how poor he's been, and he's like, oh, I can't get over Trey Young, ah, he's never going to make it, he's probably still thinking worst case top 25. That's almost no room to wiggle. Am I going to give him a guy I think is number 20 for a guy I think is number 15 coming back? Is he going to take a guy who's number 20? and give me a guy he thinks is number 25 going back, it all feels very undoable because there's just no room for profit. The reason I didn't highlight, you know, more of Devin Booker is that he's a buy low, but I don't know that he's, I don't believe there's even a profit margin there. My opponent might be like, ugh, this guy's going to end up top 40. And I might be like, yeah, you're right. (laughs) Which means, unless I want to do a straight swap, there's no profit there. All right, well, that's enough of that. This this is the theory stuff that actually kind of gets my juices flowing. Uh, as far as Tuesday is concerned, there was almost nothing. Oklahoma City got blown out by Denver, and they were generally bad. Lou Dort was pretty good, 20 points, a steal, three three-pointers. He shot the ball well. Everybody else stunk. Shea was bad. Uh, George Hill was bad. Darius Baisley had 12 points and a couple of blocks. We kind of survived it, kind of. Not a, not a good line, but wasn't the worst. Hamadou Diallo didn't really do anything. I've been kind of keeping one eye on him. Eh, just an ugly ball game. On the Denver side, Nikola Jokic just keeps rolling. Paul Millsap had a rare appearance. Will Barton was pretty good. Jermichael Green was pretty good. Jamal Murray has not been good. It's kind of amazing, actually, that they beat the hell out of the Thunder so hard with Murray just playing hurt. But they did, and you're not making any adjustments there. Denver, by the way, expecting to get Michael Porter Jr. back here soon, so now we'll start to actually pull some data from this team. Utah blew out New Orleans. Utah's just beating the hell out of everybody right now. Offensively, they look really good. Defensively, they were good enough in this one. Slowed down most of the non-Zions on the New Orleans side, and these two teams will play again tomorrow. Joe Ingles, by the way, at 15 points in 19 minutes. Not nearly enough time for him to sustain fantasy value, so no adjustments on the Utah side. And no real adjustments on the Pelicans side. Josh Hart was a tiny bit better in this game, but he doesn't belong on fantasy teams. Nikhil Alexander-Walker was better in a blowout because Bledsoe and Lonzo, who was on a minute restriction, those guys didn't log their normal minutes. J.J. Redick not doing enough. Still boggles my mind that Redick signed a two-year deal with this team. He got hornswoggled into thinking they were going to be better than they were. Good game for Zion, though. So at least there was that. Only missed two free throws. That's fine. If you can get away with that on a nightly basis, you're good to go. 
Lonzo's probably a little bit of a buy low uh, due to minute restriction issues here and just kind of a slow start to the season. And with the Pels trying to figure out how to play defense while also trying to figure out how to play offense and, you know, these things take time. That's why I faded them at the beginning of the year and they overperformed and then now things have kind of caught up with them. Everybody's got their scouting report. And that was it. That was Tuesday. What a boring fantasy day. Let's talk about tonight. Wednesday's more fun. We got nine games on the docket. There were 10, but wait, still got 10? Was it 11 and then it became 10? Or was it 10 and became nine? Doesn't matter. Dallas is in Indiana. Indiana back off a long road trip. They should be pretty tired. Dallas, they've been playing without most of their team. They should be pretty tired. This could be clunky. Maybe the unders to play in this one. We'll have to wait and see if Miles Turner is in or out on the Indiana side. Because if he's in... That makes shooting a little harder around the rim for their opponents. If he's out, well, Dallas will get whatever they want at that point. Fantasy-wise, you know, you're with Indiana. Oh, you know, with Indiana, we're on Jeremy Lamb watch. Almost forgot about that. He's questionable for this ballgame. So Lamb might make his season debut, I would venture to guess, in that 12 to 16-minute range. It's going to be a couple of weeks before he's playing enough minutes to actually be fantasy-relevant. But I would pick him up, stash him at this point. Because Karis LeVert is out indefinitely. Justin Holiday's been great, but he's not a scorer. And there are going to be times that Indiana needs someone out of that wing spot to go get a bucket. TJ Warren also out long term. So pick up Jeremy Lamb. Stash him. And understand when I say stash him, it means don't expect him to have a good fantasy game until February. It's not happening overnight. If you, if you can't last the three, four, five games it's going to take, then don't do it. But you should... Because he's not going to put up zeros if you're in an unlimited games format. And if you're a Roto Games cap, just plop him on your bench for a week and a half. And then reassess. Pretend he's not even on your team for those 7 to 10 days. Brooklyn laying 10 at Cleveland. We're still waiting on the status of Colin Sexton. He was uh, questionable, although it sounds like he's getting closer here finally. So we'll certainly keep a close watch on that. That would be nice because he was playing really well prior to going down. Brooklyn might have Kyrie back for this ball game as well. Sounds like he's pro questionable right now. I think the expectation is that he will play, but we'll get confirmation on that in the afternoon. Lean to Cleveland, by the way, catching a ton of points because I don't think Brooklyn can guard anybody. All Cleveland wants to do is guard people. Well, if they get Sexton back, maybe they'll try to score a little bit more. But right now, Jared Allen likely to play his first game with the Cavs. Torian Prince. I mean, there's a revenge angle here. Like, I, I adore Cleveland in this game. Boston at Philadelphia. This, but Remember, this is actually playoff revenge. Boston swept the Sixers out of the playoffs last year. If the Sixers are actually healthy for this game, which it looks like they are right now, five-point spread in Philly's favor, I think you probably see a pretty good game out of the 76ers. Although, again, waiting on Joel Embiid status. He is still not officially in or out at the time of recording this podcast. I mean, honestly, by the time you listen to it, he might be in or out. Uh, but right now, still waiting on it. I don't think I can make a play until I know for sure on that one. Miami is in Toronto. Heat still waiting to get some of their pieces back. They've been weird lately. Lean to the Raptors in this game. Raptors favored by four. They're starting to play a little bit better. Norman Powell giving them a, t a little pop off the bench has been useful. Chris Boucher seeing most of the center minutes has been useful. They just need to figure out a way to, to put the clamps on a team and not just a completely exhausted Mavericks club. That one, I mean, that was a scheduled loss for Dallas, just completely cooked. 
Fantasy-wise, I don't think you take too much away from Miami until they get all their pieces back. For Toronto, you're watching Powell. Can he actually keep it going? He's starting to warm up a little bit. Detroit is in Atlanta. The Hawks have not been good lately. That's that's my brilliant assessment of that team, although Clint Capella has been damn good. I don't know what's going to take for Atlanta with the damn has to break kind of thing or if they get it figured out on their own. Detroit, Derrick Rose has actually been playing really well lately. I, I guess, like I said last time, I guess you can put him on your roster for now. And it, he might keep it up if he can keep his health until Killian Hayes comes back because Blake Griffin looks totally disinterested. So the Pistons, they need scoring besides Jeremy Grant. Slightly into the Pistons in this game, by the way. It's the short spread is weird, though. I think I'd probably leave that one alone. Orlando is in Minnesota. They land three and a half against the undermanned Timberwolves. Jared Vanderbilt should be a sweet fill-in for Minnesota this week. Orlando, this is an interesting game opportunity for Cole Anthony to make a little bit of headway again. Anytime he gets a tiny bit of rest, I think he probably plays a little bit better, but not much fantasy-wise there. Slightly into the uh, the magic, actually, here, but I don't think I could bet it because I don't think there's any value in that line. Phoenix is laying 5.5 in Houston. Rockets still without John Wall, but do have Oladipo in his second game now. Suns, after a sort of weird, rusty loss in Memphis, they'll probably come out pretty focused. You're paying attention here. What does DeAndre Ayton look like? He looked really good in his last one. Is that now him kind of trending up? What about Devin Booker, though? He's a mess. Memphis, basically a pick in Portland. They're a one-point favorite right now. I think they were like a one-point dog when I went to sleep last night. It's pretty easy for a line to move across the midpoint. Actually, they were a two-point dog, so it's it's shifting pretty hard in uh, the Grizzlies' favor in this ballgame. The... You're watching Portland in particular. Memphis has no JV, but we kind of know they'll just move pieces around and, and fill in, and there's nothing super obvious there. Tillman saw the most minutes in the last one. On the Portland side, you're absolutely paying attention to what happens with C.J. McCollum now out for at least a month with a uh, a fracture in his toe. I, I still believe Derek Jones Jr. has the easiest path to fantasy value, largely because his minutes are, are closest to guaranteed among Derek Jones Jr., Gary Trent, also a junior, I think, and Rodney Hood, not a junior. Hood and Trent seem like it's going to be a bit of a hot hand. With Jones, they need his defense, they need his athleticism, steals and blocks, that whole thing. So that's the direction I'm looking. And then really, you know, Cantor is a must-own guy at this point, and I think Rocco, who we talked about a lot on this episode already, he may be the biggest beneficiary of all of all of this stuff. Sacramento is in L.A. to take on the Clippers. By the way, I like Memphis. They'd, remember, Portland knocked him out of the bubble. I think there's a there is a serious chip on his shoulder in this one. Sacramento lost to the Clippers by about 150 uh, two games back. I think they come out with a little bit of a fire in this game, although Clippers favored by 10. Fantasy-wise, kind of nothing in this game. Patrick Beverly's been a guy that I've liked for L.A. lately. He's played really well. He's He's not hurt, which is always a big deal with him. He... Tends to play himself into injuries. Maybe he can dial it back a little bit there. Sacramento, I think we got a pretty good feel for at this point. And the question, the only question with the Kings is, you know, are we going to get more Marvin Bagley? Because we got a little bit more of him in the last one. And is that a trend or was that a one-off? And then the Spurs and the Warriors, um, very little fantasy-wise, actually, to check out in this ballgame. Very little. Maybe nothing. Spurs, you're watching Jakob Pertl. That's about it. No real feel on the uh, 
the handicap for that last game on the card. Should be a fun day, though. A lot of leans, a lot of really interesting motivational angles. You guys know that's how I look at stuff on the fantasy side. And um, after not having any plays on yesterday's card, I am almost guaranteed to have a handful today. So that should be fun as well. By the way, all of the betting information we put out to you guys is, of course, from our buddies at mybookie.ag. I like to cruise over there while I'm doing the podcast, just to see if they got anything new or wild going on. Any contests for me today, mybookie? What do you got? Hmm. Oh, interesting. Uh, free blackjack. Cool. So they got blackjack tournaments every day, and I told you, I told you guys about that uh, last month on the podcast, but mybookie has... Free blackjack tournaments with either $1,000 in prizes up for grabs, and then weekly they have a free $10,000 blackjack tournament up for grabs. And again, no buy-in on those. None. Free to play. Just like that uh, survivor pool I was talking about. Free to play. You can just take home real cash just for screwing around in a sports book, basically, which is pretty damn sweet. When you sign up, not if. When you sign up for an account with mybookie.ag, make sure to use promo code HOOPBALL, all one word, H-O-O-P-B-A-L-L, and it will unlock a 50% deposit match bonus, and it'll let them know who sent you, and if you happen to do it, shoot me a note on Twitter. Let me know that you opened up an account with mybookie. Make that first deposit. Might have something for you. Might have something for you. I'm going to talk about that, and, and a couple of you have hit me up, and a couple of you have ended up with prizes. So, yeah, you got that going for you. I forgot to, earlier this week, mention our buddies at Manscaped.com as well, so please do check them out. I'm very happy uh, they sent me the shears, the luxury nail kit. It's got a file, it's got a scissors, uh, it's got an actual set of clippers. It has tweezers, which I don't... Uh, I admit, I, I guess I'm a little bit of a ruffian here, but I don't know where to use scissors on my nail or uh, tweezers on my nails. What happens with a nail where you need to tweeze it? I'm sure it's oh, you know what? It's probably for like hang nails and stuff like that. In any event, it's got four things in there. It's only twenty bucks. You can use the promo code Hoopball twenty to get twenty percent off and free shipping on your order. Or check out the Weed Whacker, the ear and nose hair trimmer, or the original Lawn Mower three point oh ninety minute battery charge waterproof technology, pinch-free technology, and a built-in LED so you actually see the damn hairs you're trimming. That's the worst, man. I live in an apartment with a southern exposure, and my bedroom faces the wall of another apartment building. It is straight-up dark in here, no matter how many damn lights I turn on. So it's really useful to have a sideburn trimmer with a freaking light on it so when I'm trimming the hair around my chin and neck... I don't create a weird hair divot. Not that anybody sees me these days, thanks COVID. But someday I'll go back outside and I'm, I don't want to look like an idiot. So go to manscaped.com. Use promo code HOOPBALL20. Remember the one over at my bookie is just HOOPBALL. At Manscaped, it's HOOPBALL20. Get your stuff. 20% off free shipping today. Thank you for listening, everybody. Um, thank you for a lot of you, actually, that have written in about the sales position. I'll talk more about that on uh, tomorrow's show, the Thursday show. I'll do another recruiting pitch. But today, I will get this thing wrapped up. I had a good little chat on uh, trade value today. No need for you guys to sit through another recruiting pitch. Hey, if you like the pod, drop a five-star review. And please do subscribe. Once again, follow me on Twitter, at Dan Vespers. Enjoy the card tonight, folks. A lot, a lot, a lot to pay attention to. A lot. 
gambling and fantasy-wise. Should be a fun one. I'll try to be on social as much as I can. And with that, I bid you adieu. We'll talk to you first thing Thursday morning. So long, everybody. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.